We are in a series called I Will. I Will. For the past two weeks, including this Sunday, we are discussing the promises of God. The promises of God. And we ended last week on a familiar passage from the book of Exodus in chapter 6 that I'm going to go back to. Uh, If you didn't highlight that, you can hang on to that in your scripture. We're going to get back there. But if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want to say to you is something that's not in your notes. But I would like for everyone to write this specific thing down somewhere. Or if you're like me, just nudge your significant other and say, hey, write this down, please. Text it to me and then I'll have it. And I'll save it somewhere. I do that specifically when I'm driving. She does that for me when I I think a lot. I don't listen to the radio. I, I really don't pray a whole lot. I just sit there and analyze life in the world until somebody cuts me off and reminds me I need to be paying attention. Here's the statement. Every I will, you can put quotation marks around that, every I will of God should inspire an I will from us. Every I will of God should inspire an I will from us. Hey guys, let me just help you out real quick. I just want to remind you before we go any further, I'm deviating a little bit. I just, I'm going to help you here. Thursday is Valentine's Day. You're welcome. That's just for you. Ahead of the, ahead of the curve right there. Looking onto the, onto the horizon and not being surprised by the waterfall. Come on, somebody. There it is. It's coming. It's my least favorite created holiday in the whole world. But it's coming. There's no good thing. I can't go there. There's nothing good about Valentine. There's nothing good about it. It either reminds you of what you're not or... Or it gives you some extra responsibility that's not for you if you're a male. Anyways, with that being said, we have a marriage conference that we do want you to sign up for real soon. And men, just to, just to pay you back for Valentine's Day, we have a men's retreat coming up there the first weekend of March, the week after our marriage, our marriage conference. So guys, you can sign up for that in the back, and we want to see you there. We want to go there with you. It's going to be a great conference. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 147 says, I Rise early. You could actually say, I will rise early. Before the sun is up, I will cry out for help and put my hope in your words. 148, I will stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. More than 3,000 years ago, God began making some promises. Again, the One of the specific ones that we see is found in the book of Exodus, but I'm going to show you one even further back that some of you have heard me preach before here in just a second. The promises of God that were made available then are still and continue to be available to us today. That's really important so that if we read it in here and it was available for God's people in the past The promises of God are still available for people, God's people, in the present. Okay? 2 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 4, reading from the New Living Translation. Because of His glory and excellence, because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. That should bring an amen and a, a healthy hallelujah inside of us. His great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. In other words, you don't have to be natural. You don't have to be ordinary. Because God has made some promises available to you that make you extraordinary. That make you supernatural. These promises enable us to share in the divine nature of God and at the same time because his I wills always inspire an I will for us it allows us to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires this is in your notes God's promises allow us to participate the promises of God Allow us to participate in the plan of God. He made those promises available and he is still making those promises available today. Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of what many people would refer to as the curse being spoken over Adam, the woman, and the serpent because of the sin in which they engaged in, because of the disobedience in which they acted in, God, in the midst of that curse, makes a covenant. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And women still hate snakes. Come on, somebody. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he's speaking to the Virgin Mary in which the Holy Spirit will plant the seed of God, connect with the egg of Mary, and a woman who didn't have a seed will now have a seed, not given to her by man, but given to her by divine nature. That seed will incubate for 40 weeks and it will give birth to a son. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 God begins to prophesy Revelation chapter 22 that that son you may strike his heel but he will crush your head. The promises of God are still available to the people of God and it is those promises that allow us to participate in the plan of God. Isn't it good that in the midst of a curse, God's still making covenant? In the midst of a problem, God's still making promise. In the midst of a situation that we feel like we may have brought ourselves into, or maybe somebody else led us astray into, God still made a way in the midst of that curse, in the midst of that problem, in the midst of that situation. He said, I'm going to make a covenant in the midst of a commitment that you don't even know you you need. I'm going to make a promise in the midst of your problem that's going to give you more purpose than you even knew you needed. That's the kind of God I serve. That's who he is. A promise is an offer 
with a guaranteed result. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. Hear me. God always keeps his promises. He cannot, he will not break his promises. Now, I know, listen, I, I've, I've heard sermons like this before. And I sat where you sit. And my first thought was all the times in my life that it didn't seem like God's promise came to pass. So I want to steal this morning from one of our teenagers' short sermon. That just because you don't see the production of your promise doesn't mean that he has passed you over. God has not passed you over. He is allowing you to wait in his presence. And in waiting on the Lord, you understand that your waiting time is worth it. It's not wasted. God might not have been part of the cause, but he's decided to be part of the effect. He might not have been part of the problem, but he decided to be part of the solution and the production on the other side. So if you are like I have been at times, and remember, we're all in this thing together, and you're going, no, 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 uh, the promises of of God did not come to pass for me. I prayed and I said amen and his answer didn't come. I'm here to tell you today that you're still alive and God's plan is still in process and you're the person that he's restirring all the promises. If you once had a dream and now it's dead, I'm telling you we still serve a God that's alive and well. If you once had a promise that you thought God passed you over on, he hasn't passed you over. He's preparing you, baby, because he's got something to prepare producing you that you don't even know you need yet. God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he flips it in the face of that serpent. And just like he did in Genesis 3.15, he continues to do in 2019. God's promises. Joshua 21 verse 45, not a single not a single one. And, and remember, Joshua was a guy that watched an entire generation of people die and not inherit the promised land. Joshua was the one that watched his leader pass away before he got to cross the Jordan River. Joshua said, not a single one. 21 chapters later. Multiple decades later. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel. I'm, listen, hear me, hear me. Some of you will never see the promises of God come to pass in your generation. But you need to hang on because there's a family following you as you follow Jesus. And if you'll stay the course, they will inherit the land that you maybe never got to see. But there's a promise for them because of the persecution, the preparation, and the production inside of you. They will become more than you ever were because you kept your hand on the plow. And listen to me. The next generation is worth hanging on for. The next generation is worth keeping my hand on the plow. I went this past weekend 
And I got to do something I, I love to do, but uh, sometimes I don't like to do it just because it makes me tired and I miss my babies. Um, but I, I got to go preach for one of, a, uh, one of our former students. One of the, I, I got to hold the baby. Y'all, I, I have realized that these gray hairs that are popping up on the side in the middle and I pluck down underneath here that you can't see, these are a sign of something. And that... <laughs> And that's not, don't amen that, that's ugly. <laughs> this weekend, this weekend, I got to hold a baby, and this isn't the first time it's happened, but it's just registered. Now, thank God I married really pretty. Even though she's 11 days older, she looks 11 years younger, and I'm okay with that because uh, she makes me prettier. The two became one flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so we were hold, I was holding a baby, and I thought, man, I am holding a baby of one of my former students. I have taken a step in my aging process. This is a new season. This is a new season. Listen to me. There's always a new season ahead of you. Can you imagine if I would have quit back at that church? What would have happened to that teenager that now has 160 students coming on a Wednesday night and 70 of them paid $100 to come to a purity retreat that I got to preach and they heard that the only way to true intimacy is through purity and we talked about everything that God has planned for them and I got to be a part of 70 students' lives because I stayed the course in one teenager's life. The promises of God. Hebrews chapter 6, 17. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. All these notes are online, eunicechurch.com slash notes. They're also in this thing we call bulletin or worship God, however you want to phrase that. They're right there for you if you can't keep up with me. Verse 17, God also bound himself with an oath. He bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. He bound himself with an oath. Verse 18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. There's, there is this thing that actually is impossible for God. He cannot he will not, he never has, he never will lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, that's important, I'm going to come back to that. We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence, great confidence. We who, you, I just need you to say that with me. We who have fled to him can have great confidence. One more time, just because I want you to speak it into your soul. We who have fled to him can have great confidence. What can we have great confidence in? As we hold to the hope that lies before us. We hang on. Now, let me deviate just a little bit. And I want you to hear the love in this, not the condemnation. I want you to hear the conviction that's calling us to a different mindset. The repentance that would cause us to change the way that we think. If we are not in covenant with God, we cannot expect the covering of God. That seems heavy, but it's really just holy. And we can't not preach things that are holy just because they're heavy. If we are not in covenant 
with God, we cannot expect the covering of God. For instance, very simple example, Megan and I, and I say Megan and I because she helps me get this done, have done a lot, a lot of weddings over the last few years. Since we, since we, before we left Chandler and, and certainly when we've gotten here, done a lot of weddings. And we've done so many weddings, I've had to ask some people for help with some of those weddings. Like, hey man, I love these people, but I need you to do this one. <laughs> and, and fortunately, we have people who are called and equipped and able to do that. But we've done a lot of them. And one of the things that we require is that we meet with those couples before we marry them. And in, in that conversation, in that first meeting... We ask very difficult situations, very difficult questions about situations that we don't want to assume are not happening. And one of those things is not are you just living together because living together is not a sin. Hang on. But most people who are living together are not being pure. They're not staying in separate rooms and keeping their hands to themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So be careful when you try to have the conversation because some people, well, we just been living together. It's not a sin. You're right. It's not. When's the last time you saw her naked? I'm just asking. Not trying to be un- I'm not trying to be unholy. When's the last time she was fully clothed in the house the whole time that you were there? When's the last time you kept your hands and your mouth off of something that doesn't belong to you? I'm just asking Because living together is not a sin. You're right. But lust is. And so is putting your hands on something that don't belong to you. Okay? So we ask that question and we have that conversation. And we highly... I know it's heavy, but it's holy. See, I can't not preach it just because it's heavy. Okay? So we ask that question and we walk through that with them. And we don't say, if you don't stop, we're not going to marry you, you sinful little wretch. No, that's not what we do. That's... What we do is we tell them the truth and we take advantage of that opportunity to minister to them and and coach them through that situation. Correct and convict and do life with them in that moment. Why do we take the time to do that? It's not because I just have a bunch of time. It's not because I just I got all this free time I just want to spend. Okay? It's because they're worth it. Because their covenant with God and with one another and their family in the future is worth it. And I understand this, that immorality and intimacy cannot coexist. You need to catch that. There is no thing hidden which shall not be revealed. Be sure and know your sin will find you out. God is not mocked whatsoever a man shall sow. He shall also reap. And immorality and intimacy cannot coexist. So if you don't have intimacy in your relationship, it may be because you have immorality in your relationship. And if you can repent and turn back to God and turn away from that thing, you can share in his divine nature. And at the same time, you can be free from the world's corruption. So I'm not saying that you need to get out of your relationship. I'm saying we all, every single one of us, married, unmarried, want to be married, have been, don't want to be again, whatever it is. We need to evaluate our relationship. 
What do you mean? We need to make sure, listen, hear me. We need to evaluate our relationship. We need to make sure that we don't have any relationship in our lives that is more important to us than our relationship with Jesus. Hear me. If there is any relationship in your life that is more important to you than your relationship with God, that relationship is an idol for you and that person. Because that relationship comes before God. Now, before we just start throwing stones at people because Jesus said, be careful in doing that. And he wrote some stuff in the sand and some scholars guess, but nobody knows what it is. And I don't want to take any shots at it. All I know is whatever he wrote, those, those Pharisees went. <laughs> so I'm being careful, but I'm also communicating this morning. My bride cannot be more important to me than Jesus. Well, some of you are like, well, that ain't a problem, Bubba. I'm telling you right now, that's not an issue. That's, that's not how y'all talk, but that's how it sounds in my head. But this generation is guilty of this. Are your children more important to you than your relationship with Jesus? Teenagers, is this puppy love that you have for this individual that you fell in love with at first sight? Is that person more important to you than Jesus is? Because if they are, they are an idol and they are in the way of what God wants to do. So I'm not telling you to get rid of it. I'm telling you to reprioritize. Evaluate your relationships. Let me show you just a couple of things. This is not in your notes. I'm going to go quickly. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up. In the lust of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version because this version translates all of these scriptures the best to me. Their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Don't preach with me right now. Just receive what God wants to say to you. Because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie, and worship and served the creature, any other relationship that God has created, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. They began to do things that go against their very own nature. This is Romans chapter 1, not Leviticus. Verse 27, men likewise began to do the same thing. And at the end of the passage, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Because we have forgotten who God created us to be, we begin to become what we want to be. And that is not relegated to one people group or one individual area where God's people are falling short of his glory or the people that he created is falling short of his glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither sexual, immoral, nor idolaters. That includes a lot of us, not just one single sin that a lot of people want to shout about. 
neither the sexually immoral. That's anyone who has lusted or done anything outside of the confines of biblical marriage. And I won't, I won't ask you, but I would just guess that our success rate, if I were to say, raise your hand if you're sitting in the room and you have never been guilty of either one of those, okay? Don't raise your hand because you're guilty of something else. Because there's no one righteous, no, not one. We all need a Savior. Sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality. There they all are. First Timothy, Paul writes specifically to his protege. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Now we know that the law is good. Because the law reveals to us the things that God doesn't want for us. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, verse 9, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. For all of us is who the law was laid down to. For the ungodly and the sinner are those people who fall short of God's glory. For the unholy, profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. Just for those people that didn't think abuse was in the Bible somewhere. For murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. And Paul's like, you know what? And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Like if the Holy Spirit says don't, then don't. And then you're going to be okay because God can bring you back into covenant. But he can't keep you in covenant. If, if we are not committed to it, God will not stay in that place and continue to give us that covering. Why? Because only purity paves the way to true intimacy. And our, we were created in the image and likeness of God for a return to purity in God and intimacy with God. So here in a few weeks... Hey, we shouldn't be given to much wine. Oh, my bad. In a few weeks, we shouldn't party just like everybody else. Hey, I done gone old school this morning. In just a few weeks, we should not share the same filthy language and the same immorality, the same impurity, these things should not be. I'm not saying don't go out there and be the light in the darkness. I'm saying go out there and be a city on a hill, letting people see the light of God through your good work so that they can give him the glory. Hear me, hear me. I am not, I am not trying to condemn you. That is not my objective. My objective for you was the Holy Spirit's, is the Holy Spirit's objective for me. He wants to convict us from things that we're doing that is condemning us already. He's not condemning us. We are condemning ourselves and the conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't say, look at what you did, you filthy little animal. That's not what he says. He says, hey, this is what you're doing, but this is what I have for you. And the conviction of God says, this is not who I created you to be. 
Come to me. Don't clean yourself up. Come to me and I will make you who I created you to be. Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to cover you, but more than I want to cover you, I want to be in covenant with you. That is the heart of God. So let me give you three points quickly this morning. The first two, I'm going to fly through, and then we're going to settle into the last one and finish up right there. Number one, we need to learn his promises. We need to learn the promises of God. Learn them. Learn them. And, and, and getting this verse right, if we humble ourselves and pray, and we seek the face of God, and we repent or turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear us from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. It's a promise of God that requires some... It's an I will of God that should inspire an I will from us because of what you've done. Because of the love of Christ, I am now compelled to truly be different from everybody else. Learn His promises 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 19. For the sake of your servant, O Lord. That's us. That's us. If you've committed your life to Jesus, if you're in covenant with God, for the sake of your servant, O Lord, and according to your will, this is his will for your life. You have done all these great things and have made them known. Where has he made them known? Right here. This is where he made them known. And we have got to take the time to learn them so that we can, number two, lean on his promises. You have to learn in order to be able to lean. That's why I put it first. If you lean on the invisible, then you may fall. But if you know and you have learned then you are more likely to successfully and consistently lean. These two have this relationship, learning the promises of God and leaning on the promises of God. It's that I had to explain to my daughter a couple of weeks ago what a hymn was. I was so ashamed of myself. So what I started doing is I started singing them to them. I started singing hymns to them. They're like, what are hymns? And I was like, oh, these are, they're these songs that are written to this old brothel music. <laughs> I had to. I had to. But they're, they're sound doctrine. <laughs> and, and they were sung for hundreds of years. And they replaced at that time what was sinful songs with the message of the gospel. And they called them hymns. And they're hymns like the old rugged cross. And I sang it, except for I messed up some of the words. And oh, the blood of Jesus. And leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Now, we don't like it when we repeat choruses, but we'll sing leaning 27 times in the same song as long as we're reading it from a book. There's no difference. There's no difference. 
The message of the gospel remains the same. Lean on his promises. Proverbs chapter 3, I believe it's 5 and 6. It's not in your notes. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Lean not in your interpretation of his word. It says, lean not on your own understanding. Because there's no telling where that may lead you. Lean not on your own understanding. But acknowledge him in all things. From the way that he created you to be to the way that he wants you to be. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and he will straighten up your crooked junk. Is basically, that's my version. He will make your path straight. He will do that. 2 Corinthians echoes Proverbs chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. They are available. They are ready. They are fulfilled. They are with a resounding yes and through Christ a great amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Number three. Before I give you the point, let me give you the preface to the point. Stop pursuing the promises of God. Stop. And start pursuing Him. See, what happens is, we pursue the promises. The thing that God created. And when the thing that God created doesn't work out the way that we expected, we blame the Creator instead of the created. Just like Paul wrote to the people in Romans, we don't worship the things which were created. We worship the creator of the things. So stop pursuing the promises of God. Don't read your Bible for what you can get out of it. Pursue Him. Humble yourself and pray. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. Why? Because he's got something better for you. No, because he wants you. That's all he ever wanted. It's why he stated what he stated in Genesis chapter 3. I know you have a problem but I've got a plan because I care more about you than what you've done or what you're doing. That's who we serve. And some people have a problem with the Father. They don't like His discipline, His correction. And even like the word Father. Because they, we have this messed up idea of Father. Well, good news. Jesus said, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And if the friend thing doesn't work out for you, and the father thing doesn't work out for you, then Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians in reference, 
And John confirmed it in the book of Revelation that if the father thing is a struggle and you got some friends that you're having a hard time with, then he also said that you are the bride of Christ and he will adorn you with the robe of righteousness and in his ascension, you will either be with him or you have endured through a season you were never meant for and if you stand and endure to the end, then you can take part in the promise of God. From Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between, God's desire is that his people would pursue him. Psalm 119 verse 140, your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. I pursued God. And I tested his promises. Now I have a testimony. I discovered them for myself because I pursued him by myself. Dude, that's good. That's good preaching. I'm just making sure you know. Last week, This goes in line with this point from last week that, that my growth is my own. It's, my growth is mine. My relationship with Jesus is mine. Hear me, listen, listen. No one, no one, we can help you. We have a plan. But no one will grow closer to God for you. They can't. No more than you can grow closer to anybody else in this world through somebody else in this world. You can't grow closer to God unless you decide to do it for yourself. At the same time, He'll put people in there to support you. Let me give you some practical ways that you can grow closer to God. Some practical ways that you can pursue Him. Ready? Real quick. Spend five days a week in His Word. Five days a week. I don't care if it's two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour. Once a day, twice a day, three times a day, in the morning, at night, I don't care. Spend five days a week in His Word. By the way, I don't care what form His Word comes in either. So if you have an app on your phone that would cause you to be more consistent in His Word, then don't let anybody discourage you or distract you because you chose one form of His Word over another form of His Word. If it's in here or if it's in here, as long as it says the same thing, it's going to be okay for you to indulge in. So many things, so many evil things coming out of this thing. You may as well redeem it for something worth having it for. Why not spend time with God on your phone, your iPad? I'm sorry, I took your phone. Thing might start going off on me or something. Download the YouVersion Bible app, Bible.com. They bought it. It's brilliant. YouVersion Bible app. There's nothing in that Bible app that you can't search for and download a devotional for. Every, listen, if you even like Jesus, if you even agree with Jesus, every single person in this room should be going through some kind of devotional. 
at least five days a week. Why five? Because there's something significant about four. I'm not even telling you right now because I don't have time. You probably should aim for seven. Like I try to aim for seven and then I'm like, whoo, I got four in. And then that you version, they had this new thing called like how many streaks in a day, how many days in a row you've read your Bible. And I was like, oh, I'm almost a double digits in a row. I'm rolling. And then I drove seven hours to preach at a purity retreat, got done at 11 o'clock praying over students and hanging out with people, eating dinner. I fell asleep writing my sermon for the next morning and going over it. I woke up on Saturday to read my Bible and it said, your streak has ended. You don't know me, man. (laughs) Read your Bible five days a week. One Old Testament chapter. If this is all you have, read one Old Testament chapter, one Psalm, and one New Testament chapter. I said that in passing one day. My wife loved it, so I say it a lot now. Soap. S-O-A-P. Man, I know how to read. I just don't know how to study. Soap. S-O-A-P. Scripture. Observation. What do you observe from this scripture? Application. How does it apply to me? Prayer. Five minutes. Five days a week. You're pursuing God's presence. How about join one of our 30 small groups? Because relationship happens in circles. Not necessarily in rows. How about take the next step? And don't just be a spectator, but begin to participate, giving, serving, growing, becoming, investing, time, talent, and treasure. Pursue him and engage in the promise, Exodus 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You can know Jesus. I will free you from being slaves to them. You can find freedom over that issue. Addiction, bondage, whatever you want to call it. Christ has set us free from the bondage. From being slaves, I will redeem you. I'm going to give you a new purpose. I'm going to show you what you were created for. With an outstretched arm, And with mighty acts of judgment, verse 7, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and you too will impact eternity. Because when you get something that much inside of you, you can't help but share it with somebody else. God's promise allows us to participate. This is the last passage. Because I've been saying promises. What is the promise? Well, there's a lot of them. But there's one specific promise in the New Testament that allows us to participate in a relationship with God unlike any other promise that he's given. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, so good, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us 
Who pours out the Holy Spirit? The one that we believe in. The one that died and was resurrected and positioned at the right hand of the Father. So if I'm not afraid of Jesus, I don't have to be afraid of what he pours out on me. Of who he pours out on me. He pours out the Holy Spirit upon us just as you see and hear today, Peter says in Acts chapter 2. Oh, great for Acts chapter 2. How does that apply to me? I'm glad you asked in your spirit. And I heard on Thursday when I wrote this. Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you, each of you, each, every single individual, each of you, repent of your sin or any area in your life where you fall short of glory to God and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will, re- you will receive. I think it says that. I need to zoom in a little. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder if you should. You don't have to beg God to do something he's already. You will receive. As you pursue, you turn to God. You're baptized. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, this promise is to you. It's to you. Well, who else? Because that was that generation. To your children and to those far away. You know what? In fact, let me just say it this way. This promise is for all who have ever and will ever be called by the Lord our God. We don't have to be afraid of something just because we're unfamiliar with something when it's from Jesus himself. But we don't pursue the experience, or the gift. We pursue Him. Pursue Him. Lord, right now, before anybody gathers their stuff, before anybody moves or goes anywhere, God, I pray that you would help us to hear from you in this moment. For every believer in here today, for every person in this room that has confessed you as Lord and believes in their heart that you've been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. God, I pray right now that you would help us pursue you. Pursue you. God, show every person in the room an area in their lives where they may not be pursuing you. An area in our lives where we may have unintentionally positioned something before you or someone even. Lord, may we set that back in its proper place and reposition you where you desire to be. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you with every head bowed and every eye closed to commit to the process.